This is Art House Roadshow, a podcast on film, faith, and mental health with your hosts, Kyle Myers and Hank Spaulding. Show. I'm joined here yet again by my good friend and colleague Kyle, and we've got a very exciting episode, one we've been talking about for probably about a year now, um, finally doing uh, this during the season of Lent. Um, we're going to do Martin Scorsese's Silence, but before we get into that, uh, Kyle, how you doing, man? Pretty good. I'm doing pretty good. Yeah? How are you doing? I'm, I'm, doing, I'm doing okay. Last week was a, a very busy week. Uh, Hence the <clears throat> our last couple of weeks have been very busy weeks um, for me. We just uh, um, my my wife is a resident director um, here at the school that uh, Kyle and I work at, um, and she's leaving her job at the end of the semester, which means that we have to find uh, new housing because for those of you who know resident directors, they live on site with the students, and so we've been uh, apartment searching. We got an apartment. She got a new job, and so yeah, lots of transition stuff there. We no just doubt. did student revival last week, um, and you know, so just lots of night gigs. Uh, yeah, which is kind of one of the more uh, tiring things. Not that's all good stuff. Like night revival is great. It was it was wonderful to see the students preach and uh, do that kind of thing, and and really just see them lead well. But um, mm-hmm. it still takes a toll. <laughs> it takes a toll. No but, doubt, man. No doubt. And yeah. trying to squeeze in some heavy Scorsese yeah, yeah. thinking and and uh, absorbing. Yeah, absolutely. And, and re-integrating uh, myself or re-familiarizing myself even with the novel and the um, just the just the nature of the film is, that just hits you really hard. I mean, I remember seeing an interview with uh, um, Andrew Garfield. Uh, who played you know the main character Rodriguez mm-hmm. in this film and uh, he said that he actually spent a week just completely silent just closed off from everything in preparation for the role which I thought was really profound but also well that I mean, he went through the um, entire Jesuit exercises yeah uh, with the spiritual director and everything for like I think six months that's incredible um, that included that week and had a really profound experience with jesus mm-hmm. through all of that it's pretty fascinating hearing talk about it yeah yeah i i love all these stories about uh these characters who do play these roles and take the religious aspect and like especially the spiritual side of it very seriously um it's been kind of cool to see more of that in recent years but uh, but yeah anyway so in the middle of that but i think that's also lent right like the kind of oh, in, man, the, no in, doubt. in the exhaustion and the the um the busyness of everything, the trying to deal with these heavy themes. And um, we're only a few weeks out from Easter. So um, Holy Week is upon us, and that'll be the, the really intense week uh, to, to study this and to think through these these themes in our own lives. Yeah, but absolutely. Before we dive in, uh, as per our tradition here, what, uh, what are you watching now, Kyle? Well, the one that um, seems most relevant, because uh, I haven't watched much, uh, trying to um, come back to Creed three and write about it, but um, mm-hmm. in preparation for our mas- masculinity talk that I was part of a few weeks ago, um, went back and watched uh, Isle of Dogs, uh, which might sound funny uh, for that. But uh, Wes Anderson's, you know, uh, st- second stop motion feature that was an ode to uh, Akira Kurosawa, Japanese director, um, and very much tells through the story of Chief. Um, a very like male spiritual journey. Mm-hmm. Uh, the male spiritual journey is something I referred to at the very end of our talk. 
Um, and unfortunately, didn't have another hour to talk about Isle of Dogs. That's right, yeah. <laughs> um, and go through that whole movie, but it's quite profound. Um, and uh, certainly relates to uh, Scorsese with silence uh, going mm-hmm. to Japan and using uh, his full cinematic knowledge of Kurosawa, especially at the beginning, um, sequences in Japan, just very elemental uh, rocks and fire, cold and dark and ocean and mm-hmm. sun and clouds and fog um, all come from that, uh, which are also in Isle of Dogs mm. uh, very much as well. But anyways, just uh, an, an, an ode to Kurosawa, which I which I love and is very relevant to this discussion in some ways. Yeah, that's fantastic. Mm-hmm. It's a very interesting um, film, obviously, for a lot of reasons. And, and I think that, you know, there's, there's a lot of kind of lure in, um, like, the filmmaking by some of our greatest directors in relationship to Kurosawa. And it's, it's mm-hmm. fascinating to kind of connect him to all the different people that he's influenced over the years. Um, you know, obviously everything is popular Scorsese, but also to like George Lucas and people of that nature too. Like Absolutely. very powerful director and had a lot of really powerful messages in his, in his films. Um, you know, it's, it's fascinating. You brought up Rocky and Creed three. Actually, I don't know if you've seen this uh, yet, but they, they released a director's cut of Rocky four. I have not watched it yet, but, um, it is on my list to do. Yeah. I'd be interested to know what you think about it. I won't spoil any of the differences, but the differences are very noticeable. Mm -hmm. Um, like some of it pretty much, it drastically changes the, uh, parts of the plot and some of the themes of the story. Interesting. And so I'd be interested to see what you think of, of that, but also it's really cool to see some of the, um, the footage that's never before seen mm-hmm. that, that they kind of took out. Um, some of it's really, you know, n- you know, unconsequential, but um, a lot of it I think is really, really powerful, kind of like really deepening even the connection between Rocky and Apollo, mm-hmm. even into the fight with Drago where Rocky has the fight with Drago and things of that nature. Interesting. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, so it again, I won't spoil it with you uh, for you, but um, I'd be, I'd love to hear what you think of it. If you yeah, ever get a chance to check it, uh, check it out. So anyway, that's that's what I watched recently. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, another version of Rocky Four. <laughs> <laughs> Love so, it. Anyway, well, as we dive in here, uh, obviously, uh, Silence is not just a, a movie that uh, Scorsese came up with by himself or the themes of the th- uh, or the story, but he's drawing from a book um, from a Japanese author mm-hmm. um, that is a very powerful uh, story. Um, you know, that kind of tells his own. Um, uh, this the author's example or the author's story of uh, his own understanding of uh, like racial and kind of religious cultural persecution in his own time. He's Catholic, um, raised in Japan, um, mm-hmm. and it tells a story basically of a silent God who doesn't intervene in our suffering but suffers quietly along with us, which is again a very interesting theme. Uh, he actually suffered Endo did from turbo- tuberculosis um, in mm. his life, and so he not only experienced this not in the cultural social side but also in his own the illness in his own body. Hmm. And so it's interesting to kind of see how these themes like emerge. And I think it's a really helpful way to think through um, the language of suffering. Um, as someone who's a theologian, I think it's, I think it's fascinating. Um, a lot of people have compared it to, and I don't know if you've read this book, Kyle, but the power and the glory by Graham Greene, um, kind of the, the whiskey priest there and the, the Catholic persecution in uh, Mexico hmm. versus the kind of Catholic persecution that happens in Japan. Yeah, I've not read that. Yeah. Um, it's, it's quite a read and the, obviously the, the main priest is a lot more fallible than, uh, Rodriguez is for, for this. Uh, but it's, uh, it's still a very interesting, um, 
it's a real inter- interesting thing. Endo actually achieves the uh, the title after writing Silence and releasing it as the uh, Graham Greene of the East. That's right. Um, so uh, I read that. Yes. So anyway, yeah, it's, yeah. it's fascinating. Um, so if you're a fan of Graham Greene, this is something that you'll naturally be f- uh, a fan of. But it's a very, very personal account, I think. Um, and it wins all kinds of awards, obviously. It is like the great achievement of Endo's career um, and, and everything. So anyway, it's just a very interesting book. I mean, I know that you've read the book mm-hmm. um, and it's had a very you know profound impact on you. Well, what are some of the things that you kind of have really appreciated about this book, Kyle? Yeah, well, uh, <clears throat> first to yeah address some of what you were saying, I think it's interesting in reading yeah about Endo, the author. Um, it's just yeah, just that um, history uh, since you know Francis Xavier first went to Japan mm-hmm. of um, try, just trying to reconcile the East and the West, um, which is obviously a core theme in in watching the movie and referring to the swamp of Japan and the mm-hmm. root of Christianity uh, being unable, uh, or the tree of Christianity being able to take root, unable to take root there, <clears throat> and for which I'm we'll talk more about. But Indo very much you know was. Uh, obviously contending with that in his own, you know, cultural heritage. Mm -hmm. Uh, Catholicism was something he was born into and really embraced as an adolescent, um, Mm -hmm. as did Scorsese um, in his life. And I think they're uh, not far off, terribly far off age-wise. But but anyways, yeah, just that uh, questioning for him personally of – you know, what does it mean or what, what, what part of me am I potentially like hiding that's Japanese, um, that, that, uh, is still very much a part of, you know, who I am right. and how do these things reconcile? Um, and, um, and then the bigger conversation, which I want to hear, you know, more from you as well, but Scorsese and, uh, the translator of silence, both right translator in particular talking about, uh, the history of Christian faith. Um, and it's uh, the, the almost inevitability of having to acclimate, of having to adapt uh, to, you know, certain environments, cultures, whatever, to continue to thrive and grow mm-hmm. the way that it has. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously not just uh, purely colonize right, a yeah. culture, um, but what does it look like in that culture, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and how does that culture also impact Christianity right, and yeah. faith, right? Um, so it's just a wild, you know, conversation to, to research in, in church history. Yeah. Um, but never more prominent than, you know, a place like Japan. Uh, oh, yeah. But it is still primarily Buddhist. I think my research, internet, just internet research, was that there's um, about 1.5% of Japan is Christian, which is just under 2 million, um, which, you know, it's still quite fascinating. But primarily uh, Shinto and Buddhism are the primary religion. Mm-hmm. Um, practices there that um, um, that are a part of that, and yeah, just super interesting to um, uh, to value. And Kurosawa, interestingly too, was often um, more disliked in Japan than anywhere in the world because he was embracing or exploring Western themes mm. through Western authors and adaptations right. and Shakespeare and whatever. Um, so, anyway, yeah, just super interesting to see the clash you know, uh, that began from that time, which Japan in history, when Francis Xavier went over, was, you know, an upheaval. Um, and it was kind of the perfect opportunity for something like Christianity to come in and and start to plant seeds. Yeah. So anyways, I'm just... 
No, no, yeah, yeah. you're great. I'm interested to know yeah. what Scorsese's um, or even the translator of the the book that you have says about how Christianity like takes root or like has to adapt to culture. I mean, just as someone who loves um, yeah. Martin Scorsese in general, um, not. I mean, obviously, I don't know, I don't appreciate him as well as you do. Like, I I enjoy his movies and things, but you know him, yeah, you know, yeah, things yeah, like right, that. Right. But I'd, I'd love to hear kind of his perspective on that before I dive into like my thoughts on that. Yeah, well, in his intro, he uh, he talks about uh, just the role of questioning, you know, in faith. Um, and so Scorsese, who again, I think I you know said before when we talked about other movie uh, we did for him in the fall. Um, that he initially won, his parents were Catholic, but not hardcore Catholic. Mm-hmm. And he actually embraced the faith himself, yeah. uh, different even from, from his immigrant parents. Um, and then uh, at the same time embracing cinema because he was you know often sick. So going to church and going to the movies was pretty much a lot of what he did. Mm. Um, and, and he uh, uh, failed somewhat as a seminarian. Uh, didn't last in seminary very long, but, but attempted to become you know, a priest himself. Um, and then turned towards movies and so and, and art. and so but maintained his faith and didn't lose his faith. And so, um, so it's fascinating to me, and just his language around both movies and faith and theology, mm-hmm. and just the personal aspect of it, um, are like I just re- highly resonate with, right? Yeah. Um, and love his openness about it mm-hmm. uh, in interviews, uh, openly talking about his faith and, and believing Jesus is God and very Catholic kind of you know uh, theological uh, viewpoints, and not not ashamed of that. Um, and still being able to be who he is, you know, mm-hmm. as a director and be, be valued in Hollywood and, and make these gangster pictures, you know, yeah. whatever <laughs> that, that don't exactly add up, you know, uh, to Catholic. Uh, but anyways, uh, the role of questioning, it's what he mostly hones in on in the intro here, uh, in the painful, uh, part of that process, which we, you know, sometimes refer to now as deconstruction, and being able to, to kind of open up and ask the hard questions and look at church history and mm-hmm. look at um, uh, what is and, and what isn't and what gets in the way and, and what opens things up and, and all of that. But uh, but his when I picked up the book back in 2016, I mean, it just hit me like, you know, like, um, you know, uh, uh, having a nail gun shot at me. Uh, his take on just the loneliness mm-hmm. of doubt, the loneliness of questioning. Uh, which ultimately can lead you to back into community right, in, yeah. in a much deeper way. Uh, but in the middle of it, when I was in the middle of it at that time, it's like, man, hearing Scorsese say this out loud, um, it just really resonated. And I felt, you know, I felt seen in, right, yeah. in that moment. Uh, so it just opened up that whole world uh, for, for me and this book of course, uh, which I just, you know, uh, really went through. And I don't think I quite finished it before I watched the movie so I could experience the end of the movie. Um, some too, but just a really profound time, you know, back in 2016 mm-hmm. in terms of a, uh, shifting and changing and, and uh, figuring things out, crisis of limitation in my own life uh, that this really came in. And, and Marty was very much a priest, spiritual director mm. at that time in that way. Yeah, that's really powerful. And I think that, you know, one of the things that's really great about movies, books, I mean, directors, even authors, is that they do have this kind of far-reaching effect. I, I remember having something not, well, something very similar, but um, it, with an author, uh, her name's Lauren Winner, 
and she wrote a kind of spiritual autobiography of her own kind of like faith deconstruction like you're talking about she just called it doubt um mm-hmm. uh, that's like you know what she referred to it as the book was called still um and i read it and she was a professor at the seminary that i taught that i went to she was going through a, a divorce at the time herself and um was given a sabbatical and she'd written this like just prior to going on sabbatical. And I wrote her a note cause I'd never met her. And obviously we went to this, like we were in the same space and I just, I said, Hey, I, I really appreciated your book. You don't really know me, but it made me feel less alone. Like that's yeah. all I said. And you know, she said, she wrote back and she said, and I think, I think this is true. So, you know, like artists and writers, I think, uh, write in some sense to themselves feel less alone sure. and so i wonder if you know in some sense like scorsese is kind of giving you spiritual directions as his own way of kind of still grappling with these core oh absolutely questions and that's uh, i think uh, it's a community in that sense like that <laughs> of spiritual direction that needs that and i mean directors don't realize the i mean maybe they do but don't always realize the far impact of that yeah no um, absolutely but you attest to it right here you know yeah no 100 percent, 100 percent. i think he does know that in a way and he's been interactive and expressed some interactions he's had with people over um the decades and and even you know people being uh intensely impacted by a taxi driver which is a difficult movie in its own way but still right. you know it's about this very lonely character amidst a million people just right in his, you know, vicinity, proximity, uh, experiencing this in, in depth loneliness. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I just think, yeah, he has that, uh, capacity and even more so because Marty's so willing to, and so articulate in talking about his own faith or mm-hmm. experiences or movies or whatever. Uh, he's just such a relatable person that it's yeah. really helpful. Yeah, it's it's quite profound, and I, I love that like he touches on this idea of like culture and Christianity and this kind of like marriage between the two because it's you know J- Japanese Christianity went through kind of some ebbs and flows in the early days. I mean, there was a real explosion at first, and then real ta- tapered off, which happens during which I this this kind of novel I think takes place during the real uh, low period of Japanese Christianity. Um, mm-hmm. There was a. Uh, I mean, there's one of the disciples who made it, I think, as far as India in terms of his preaching um, of, of the disciples of Jesus. And then kind of his disciples kind of carried the message further east, uh, east, west and north um, themselves and a little bit south. But it's it's one of those things that like we don't know when the first Christian probably hit the shores of Japan with the message. Uh, you know, you talked about sure. Xavier, right? Yep. Like and those kind of things. But, you know, that's where the big explosion happens at the beginning. Yep. But the you know, one of the things you write, like it, in the best missionaries. Um, and when I say best, I'm talking about the ones who like really understood the task were the ones who were able to take cultural symbols and integrate them into how they prepare the message. You know, they're not just there to force a message and the colonialism, like you said, right. But they're there to immerse themselves in the cultural ideas, um, the values of a culture, and then use Christianity as kind of a vehicle to help, the, the culture around them realize how the faith can actually realize the best possible virtues and even extend beyond them to something new and powerful. Um, you know, the, the language I've heard always is like, since good news is the goal of it, um, it has to be news in the sense that it has to be surprising, like unforeseen, that kind of thing, but good in the sense that it doesn't really take uh, a, a nuanced, complicated um, ideological system for a person to see that it is good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Sure, sure. And so, like one of the famous examples I think I'll re- I remember of this is um, Saint Olaf when he goes to um, basically try and convert the Vikings, for lack of a better term. 
uh, the Norse people. Mm-hmm. Um, he takes their, uh, they have these, uh, they, they're called like, um, uh, like war halls. I don't know if you've seen them. There's these massive no. structures that are, um, they look a lot like they have similar structures to kind of like pagodas and that they've got levels and like kind of shooting out roofs and things mm-hmm. like that. And it's where they would, Vikings would come back after raids and celebrate the kills mm-hmm. that they had, um, that they had, you know, performed in their raids. Cause that was very much a part of their cultural ideas. And he built a church that looked the very same way. Um, it's, it's funny. I mean, you can go to uh, Disney World right now and do the Walk of the World. And in Norway, they actually have Interesting. <laughs> um, one of these. They're called stave churches. Um, and it was supposed to show that, like, you know, hey, this is uh, like the war halls is about celebrating killing. So is, in some sense, this uh, it's about celebrating a death in these stave churches. And so it used the cultural symbol to kind of attract people in to tell them a different version of the story that yeah, they were already sure, a part of. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And so I think that that's like the, where the best part of where missionary work happens. The worst part is when people just come in. I, I always think of like, for example, when uh, the the book Things Fall Apart, mm. um, which is sure. quite, uh, you have quite literally the opposite where it's coming in drastically sh- like requiring the shift of culture in that moment that kind of is like overpowering and things like that without allowing the space for traditions of, um, you know, Okwankwo. I, I remember that character, like allowing that him to, to see his own traditions as important and valuable as a part of him and then entering to a conversation instead of imposing it upon him and then ultimately leading to the events of things fall apart, yeah, which is a, absolutely a, another powerful, powerful book. And if, when we uh, reviewed The New World last year, yeah. we talked about some of that too. Yeah, the absolutely. Malik's film with the Native Americans and um, everything happening with that and when uh, she gets kind of dressed as an English person and is being taught English manners and just the awkwardness of that. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. And I think that the, this is why the, like we, we have the kind of the history for good and bad, what it is. Um, and obviously it's, it's, it's one of those things that, especially now with it, where it's very much in vogue with the idea of deconstruction, um, mm-hmm. there's a sense in which like this, it hasn't gone by that phrase, but you know, Christians have been thinking through, like, what does it mean? Like culture versus faith, faith versus culture, faith and culture, you know, these kind of themes have been present throughout church history, I think in really profound and powerful ways. I mean, challenging it, all different kinds of things. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think silence draws, draws that into a very unique conversation about like, okay, well, what about suffering? <laughs> you know, when it, when it comes to like the way that Christianity can like force people to suffer mm-hmm. in a certain sense. And I, I, I love the, I love the themes of it for a lot of reasons, but um, you know, this is a, a very interesting, interesting theme. I, you know, one of the things I, I, I love about it again is just Scorsese's interest in it. Um, and I don't know a lot of that history. Um, I know, obviously we've talked about before Scorsese's faith and his kind of like failed go at seminary. Uh, do you have any information on kind of when he took up the uh, this the silence book or like why this is such a it's one of his passion projects as you named earlier? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, fascinatingly, it uh, I don't think he read it until um, eighty eight or eighty nine after going through uh, what would be um, its own crisis mm-hmm. of uh, releasing the last temptation of Christ uh, to all kinds of. Um, you know, difficult uh, resistance and protest and, and whatever is coming from uh, whatever levels of, of church. Right. Um, and so him having to, con- and he did, I mean, he constantly navigated, you know, interview after interview and 
um, and try and even <clears throat> um, interpreted that that was also a, a text um, that a book novel he, he um, had taken and interpreted in a very Catholic way. Uh, the book is actually, according to Paul Schrader, actually quite blasphemous, right? Which is what he was being accused of. Um, but Marty actually articulated it in a more Catholic uh, way and is hopeful. While again, like Silence, also asking lots of hard questions. Yeah. Um, and so I think so. First of all, uh, Marty seems talking to my son about this quite a bit last night. Um, but I think Marty's uh, ultimate spiritual gift. Uh, is just non-judgment, right? Mm. It's why I can make two movies essentially about Judas um, and, and, and looking uh, and asking different questions about Judas um, and it not, uh, and it just feel compassionate. Um, and so it's partly starts with Raging Bull, which is a, another terribly difficult movie to watch with a, a very difficult character. Um, <clears throat> but Marty went through it almost like in the hospital, almost dying, overdosing from, from his addictions and the darkness of his own life. Right. <clears throat> and he would say, quoted um, somewhere, uh, that, you know, it's for, you know, Jake LaMotta that he, you know, found hope again through this, like, horrible person who had his own kind of ups and downs and, and spiritual journey in its own way, and it's very mm -hmm. distorted. Um, but ultimately, he's looking, and the thing is, the way that we're probably feeling with Ki uh, Kichishiru, uh, if I'm saying it right, that yeah. uh, who's the Judas, one of the Judas characters, means a shadow for Rodriguez, mm -hmm. um, and they both have, are a variation of Judas. But um, but Kichishiru is such a wretched character and presentation in every way, um, and can't help but like. Um, you don't like him the way you don't like your own insecurities. Right, right? absolutely. And he's so exposed all the time. Every time he uh, apostatizes, every time he confesses, like it's all just exposure and just feels horrible. Um, but <clears throat> in essence, that's what we do every Sunday, you know, with the Eucharist and confession, right? And if you're Catholic, you practice confession, and you can do this daily Eucharist. Um, but essentially that's what we're doing. Yeah. You know, uh, we're, we're sinning, apostatizing, uh, envying, you know, going through whatever list of, mm -hmm. uh, things that I'm, I'm not doing right. I'm not doing well. Uh, and then coming back to the table. Yeah. Um, and so in essence, it's the same thing, but, uh, but presenting it, uh, in a way that's so viscerally disgusting and having just to contend with that. Mm -hmm. um, it's fascinating, but also, again, on Scorsese's part, like um, allowing this character to exist and be explored um, and ultimately be loved um, is just, you know, fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. No, and I mean, that's a great connection to Lent. I mean, Lent is some, some sense of prolonged, um, attempt right. for us to really explore the ways in which, and I, I love the language of apostasy there. Like we do a great job of telling stories of saints. We don't do as well of a job as telling the stories of, uh, the, the apostates and the, um, the heretics in a certain sense. And I think there's a lot of story to be sh shared there. Sure. I remember, um, I follow a very, um, traditional Catholic on social media, um, as a way to kind of balance out my theological perspectives. I remember he tweeted and it just it stuck with me because I think I was so frustrated by it. And he's a famous theologian, very, um, uh, very well published and things of that nature. So, you know, who am I? 
but neither way either yep. way like he uh, he posted because uh, he watched it with his son and he came out with it and he said something to the effect of like just watched scorsese's silence not sure why everyone loves this movie it glorifies apostasy and so my son and i once we were done we prayed for the um the persecuted church across the globe that they might stay true in their faith um which just it rubbed me the wrong way because i didn't sure. feel like well, it feels he, like a judgment yeah it does right yep. <laughs> and, and that's i mean in some sense yep. like if you're following what you're saying he's looking at since i resonate with so many of these characters looking at my kind of uh, yeah right uh, apostasy in a certain sense and seeing that but you know that's that's the thing right like the uh, mm-hmm. this this kind of judgment lays bare very crucially and like the actor who who plays uh kichijiro is just fantastic and really yeah bringing out those kind of feelings not only um oh, unbelievable and it's just it's fantastic to kind of like see him um grow and even where he ends up in the movie um is just fascinating to me um i think is really interesting but i i love that but like I, that tweet has always stayed with me because I deeply resonate with this film and its themes. Um, it's a perfect film for Lent, obviously, and, and and it even just like as you said, like what we're supposed to do every Sunday in church in this kind of like practice of like re- like our rehearsal even of mm-hmm. going into the sanctuary, repenting of our sins or confessing our sins. I mean, confession is a very important Christian practice that um, even if you're not Catholic, yeah, is something absolutely. that you're supposed to do. Um, as a kind of a daily rhythm of what it means for you to practice your faith. Um, so anyway, yeah, like it's just one of those things that uh, like I've stuck with me because in that sense, like he's uh, he condemns it in that, that kind of way. But anyway, mm-hmm. just yeah. a thought of mine uh, as we kind of get into this, uh, this film. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, did you want to pull out one of the quotes there from, uh, from uh, Scorsese here? Yeah, man. Um, yeah, well, I was saying with Raging Bull, where I've got this book of interviews with Scorsese here, but mm-hmm. um, uh, but saying so, De Niro is one who really wanted to make it, and it's just like pushing it on to Scorsese in the, oh, yeah. in the hospital. But <laughs> you know, but he said, first says, you know, if I said yes to Bobby, it's because I unconsciously found myself in Jake, who's again this horrible, horrible character. Um, I felt that this character was the bringer of hope. It was for this hope that I made this film. Um, and then goes on later because he's you know getting pressed by the the interviewer. Hopefully this will pop up here. Um, oh yeah, it's above that. Uh, where um, you know he says uh, here is a man who is methodically methodically destroying himself again, referring to Jake Lamata, who is pulling others down with him, who falls into the deepest hole and who pulls himself up again, pulls him up pulls himself up again towards what? It doesn't matter to live with a strip teaser. Yeah, so what? Are you better than a strip teaser? Yeah. <laughs> right? And so he's just finding, you know, um, any source of hope at all um, in the worst, which is when you're feeling, when you're in that space, when you're at mm-hmm. the bottom, uh, you see, uh, obviously see things very differently and see people mm-hmm. very differently and see possibility, see mm-hmm. hope mm-hmm. Uh, in a new way. And so... <clears throat> Um, and I want to actually come back to a di- big difference in the book Silence mm-hmm. uh, and the movie, which is interesting to me uh, about the actual big apostasy mm-hmm. scene, which I know you want to talk about. So oh, I'll, yeah, I'll yeah. let you start there. But but anyways, <clears throat> um, yeah, Marty's so that 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 moment with Raging Bull in seventy nine eighty um, and making it and and really that being transformative for him, you know, opened up. You ask, you know, when did he first read this book? I don't think I ever answered the question. Yeah. <laughs> um, but the yeah, making the Passion Project, Last Temptation of Christ for almost no money, 
um, figuring that out, making it happen, then going through the excruciating, um, you know, protest and oppression that came from, from judgment that came from that. Uh, he was given the book in like 1988, uh, Silence to Read, and immediately sought out the, the rights and immediately uh, wanted to, to pull something together, which became, you know, a 20-year-long process to right. pull it. And at one point, he had uh, uh, Gael Garcia Bernal and uh, Daniel Day-Lewis and somebody else uh, on, on, you know, online to, to potentially make it uh, in the late 2000s. <clears throat> Obviously, it didn't happen, but I love I love the cast, you know, as it was. But it's fascinating to think about, you know, different variations. Oh, yeah. I can't imagine. Been. Daniel Day-Lewis <clears throat> and this would have brought this to a whole other level. Know, yeah, oh, my no goodness. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I love that. Andrew Garfield. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. But Daniel Day-Lewis is just next level. Yeah. So. And I assume he may have been, um, he may have been Ferreira. And it would have been like, there will be blood for apostasy. <laughs> <laughs> you can imagine that. Sorry, that... Yeah, I, that that sounds fantastic for some reason. <laughs> I mean, I don't know why. <laughs> just, well, it just sounds like yeah, that's it's it would work. Yeah, it, it would way. work yep. absolutely. Oh well, so yeah, so and it's fascinating. I, I heard that it took him like twenty plus years to get this finally off the ground that he's been trying. That's to, right. Because uh, he had, but I, I didn't ever. I mean, I never understood what, and I cause that's not, I never did it, like dug really much deeper than just hearing it, but. Um, that there was this battle and I never understood why or never knew why there was this long drawn out battle. I mean, getting rights to books, I know are a complicated thing, but nonetheless. Yeah, I think it was just more, you know, pulling, pulling it all together. I mean, as you can imagine in the world of mm-hmm. movie making, even, even for somebody like Marty, uh, in order to make Last Temptation, you know, he had to make, uh, you know, Hollywood movies, The Color of Money, um, later Cape Fear. I think it's the one that he guaranteed, like, contracted i'll make cape fear remake it if you uh will help me fund this so you know he's been and spike lee's done this you know the back and forth independent filmmakers um working with hollywood so they can fund their passion projects right but i think a part of it was uh yeah just like pulling the right group of people together and you know actually having the time and space and and everything it's just a lot uh yeah. so it takes time yeah yeah definitely well, um, it's powerful here. And I mean, like the, I, I know that like the scenes, obviously like the final scene, I mean, not to jump right to the end of there. I mean, the book has a lot of things within it that are, and even then, I mean, the movie obviously does too. Uh, the first thing that kind of stood out to me and it kind of gets to the end of the film is the, uh, like when they're hearing confession, there's this, like, there's this real sense in which like Christian practices are life giving to um, a Christian, whether you're Catholic or, you know, non-denominationally Protestant, evangelical, Anglican, you know, everything in between. Um, and that you have these people who are starving, you know, both literally and physically, like spiritually for the Eucharist. Um, and they need to give their confessions before they can do that. And so yeah. there's this really powerful, um, you know, this a scene of them preparing people for their first communion. And yeah. I, I, re- I really enjoy that as someone who just really digs like, like movie, like Hollywood adaptations of like sacraments and things of that Absolutely. nature. Um, but I, I mean, I don't know if we want to jump to the final scene, but I, you know. Well, I will say, yeah, just to build up to that um, and somewhat briefly, but yeah, act one, again, very elemental introduction, a lot of baptism and communion very good. going on while, you know, there's hiding and, and darkness, but um, 
Uh, and then for, you know, Rodriguez present the presentation from the beginning as he's, you know, this very impassioned, idealistic mm-hmm. young priest who is willing to take on anything and maybe is a little too excited at some point about um, the possibility of being martyred. Right. Um, right. And so in terms of the, the roar spiritual journey, you know, he's on the ascent. Right. Um, this is very much about <clears throat> sacrifice instead of mercy. Uh, to to kind of his stage of, of life and stage of, of ministry, um, but the end of Act One ends uh, with the brutal but also um, somehow you know I guess poetic um, without taking away from the, the brutality of it. But you have the crucifixion by baptism basically in the right. ocean, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. And you get to see you know the these uh, Japanese Christians who were incapable of spitting on the cross and and saying calling uh, Mary the mother of Jesus a whore um, that they're being you know crucified in this terribly painful way and one of yeah. them even survives out there for you know four days um, going through the tide coming in and then going back out um, and so yeah really. Um, you know, just fascinating scene to witness and encounter and encounter mm-hmm. the strength uh, that they themselves have mm-hmm. uh, to, to take that on. Yeah. Um, yeah. No. Yeah. Sorry. I was just no, enthusiastically yeah. agreeing because it's like when one sense you've got the life giving aspect of the sacrament and then kind of like the inverse of it, the using as this kind of sacramental imagery to destroy. Right. Um, one of the things I always really appreciate, especially about the second scene where um, the, like the apostasy, like Rodriguez is like where they're stepping, like the mud and kind of the grime yeah. of it. Like you feel this, like the, to use your language, this kind of elemental, like feeling mm-hmm. of like apostasy, like in this kind of like dirty picture. Like that's what there is. And in some senses, it's depicting how Catholics see apostasy, how Christians um, have seen apostasy. But, you know, in some sense, Rodriguez is, he's in this point, he's already, um, starting to kind of wrestle with like what is the image what it, what do we do with these these like um the cross what do we do with the picture of christ what do we do with mary what do we do with these theological doctrines he's wrestling with in some sense the purity of belief mm-hmm. that is often associated like with that tweet that i was mentioning about the right. purity of like confession right that it's this kind of like i gotta hold and grit my teeth onto this kind of like belief as as the sole source of my um christian kind of like witness or something of that nature um right i mean there's so many characters like to talk about i mean we didn't we haven't even talked about garoop yet like the yeah. <laughs> you know it was played by adam driver um or even in, in that way like uh, fiera um who is played by liam neeson in this film um and one of the profound kind of moments of of debate is when rodriguez after he kind of gets captured and he's now being shopped around all these different prisons or whatever he actually has a conversation with Fiera, who originally uh, both Rodriguez and Garup are, are coming to Japan to yeah. try and find it's him. Kind of their mission, yeah. Yeah, it's and in some sense, like there's like what uh, what uh, Fiera kind of talks about is the difficulty of the worldview of Japanese people and how the symbols and logic of Christianity don't make sense in a kind of flat way. Mm-hmm. So he brings up this idea of the sun, yep. right? And again, it's it's one of those things like I talked about earlier, like this kind of literalization of it in, and mapping over cultural symbols as a way to absorb it is kind of the wrong approach. In some sense, it's, it's the shift that you see of the two at the end of the film as they're kind of living in culture now, a part of it. 
um, that I find more interesting. Uh, but mm-hmm. we'll get to that mm-hmm. in a second. I mean, mm-hmm. it's just a, a whole host of very fascinating characters in this way. Oh, uh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, and which I'm sure we'll come back to, especially uh, Garupe. Yeah. Um, but Act Two essentially is when they separate. Right. Uh, and Rodriguez, we're then we're just following Rodriguez into his wilderness, right? Right. So that's when he starts to encounter, uh, you know, like heat now, uh, and and light in a uh, oppressive kind of way, and he's obviously <clears throat> um, very thirsty. Uh, it's very much a you know like fasting in the wilderness kind mm-hmm. of experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and dealing, starting to, to deal in some doubt and talk about loneliness and, and have that. He's also kind of chasing his shadow, which is Kichijiru again, mm-hmm. um, who's just, uh, ahead of him a little bit until they meet up again. Uh, but anyway, so this represents, again, very much this crisis of limitation, kind mm-hmm. of midlife crisis. Um, you know, this guy is not Christ. Uh, he's not going to be, you know, the hero that he thinks he's going to be or he, want, he hoped to be. Uh, as a martyr, he, he finds that out in a conversation, his first conversation with the governor, um, that he's not going to be martyred after all. In fact, you know, uh, everybody else is going to be martyred until he apostatizes. So now he's dealing with a whole new mystery that he's not in, anticipated. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, just that. And then Kichijiro coming back again uh, several times to confess uh, only to apostatize sometimes like seconds later right? Uh, yeah. <laughs> and then run away and come back. And, and so you can see, I mean, you're, you're very much like Rodriguez. You're very frustrated with him. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's, and he, you can, he smells and he, you know, it's just like, um, uh, it's just horrifying. But again, he's representing this internal thing in all of us and in Rodriguez at the moment too, is questioning God and where mm-hmm. are you? And, um, and all of that going on is really fascinating visually to to encounter, mm-hmm. uh, while also hard, very difficult to con- contend with, mm-hmm. very upfront and, and brutal. Um, and then, so moving through all of that, which brings us to Act Three, which is you know the kind of dark night of faith, uh, so to speak, uh, where he's painfully this is part of the spiritual journey aspect again but painfully redefining victory and success you right. know in life yeah. is something that happens but we've got the full moon and the dark night and the why have you forsaken me um experience all is happening which again is teasing you know the parallel with christ um and which you know uh then becomes something you know very just uh, a paradox and all kinds of things going on leading up to the the actual apostasy. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the thing that I will say I, str- I struggled with um, still is just Ferreira's um, uh, almost you know guidance into this regarding like Christ would do this and just taking on this is you know. Uh, this is what Christ would do. And I I think even that was challenging to me. Like, I'm like, wait a second. You know, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know either, like, how to, you know, engage with that. But that doesn't necessarily sound right either. Um, Mm -hmm. And I'm also kind of frustrated that you're, like, feels like you're manipulating Rodriguez in the moment, too. Um, And I understand why, in part, but also just felt like, you know, just, like, back off. Right, um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just really did not like Qui Gon Jinn in that moment. That's right. Yeah. Um, and but, anyways, um, 
but then yeah but the the scene though so it's interesting to be like i was kind of ramped up and frustrated and entangled um but then there's still really no way to describe the moment of apostasy um which is just profound and and powerful um and and i don't know relatable yeah um, in in ways that are hard to articulate yeah and i think that's what good art does in some sense sure it draws you in you don't always know what it is about it that is so attractive for lack of a better term but that you, you do know that there is something about it that ultimately matters and you know i obviously like the the shift here that happens almost directly after this into kind of the later years of rodriguez's life and he's now kind of working with fiera um he has a family of his own now i mean he can't Mm -hmm. get away from kichijiro uh who is still there (laughs) yeah in the film but there's a i mean there's a profound sense in which you know you're right like the in some sense it's a it seems like too much of a crutch for the audience like to to do that because i feel like the scene itself speaks for itself in terms of the in terms of that instead of um needing Qui-Gon Jinn to kind of speak into that you right know, right but the I don't know like are you going to read from the the passage well no then? go ahead man I'm just I'm just I want to be prepared for that but I just want to hear more yeah just your own process with the with the scene and, and yeah else. yeah in some sense I think I kind of channeled out the um fear as kind of like the whole person of Christ because I, I never I don't think of him as thinking he's doing something Christ-like in that moment I think he's actually doing the opposite because he looks down at the the picture, the face of Jesus, um, and yeah. he knows that this action is itself re- replicating what happens in the scene of the crucifixion of Jesus's body being handed over mm-hmm. to those who he came to save and to be beaten, bruised, and then ultimately hung on a cross and killed. Yeah, there's a, and there's this fascinating sense in which, and because the language that I mean, I think about it, and this isn't really the exact language that they would probably use in the in the book or even the film is this language of like purity and contamination. Like that's a, a big thing from uh, Mary Douglas. And she talks about these things. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, when say, comes, say more about that. The, this, like for purity and contamination, there's a sense in which like ancient humans, like there's a, um, there's something that's like built into us almost hardwired to kind of resist contamination and, yeah. and like go to and, like favor purity. Like, you know, there's like, you know, if I dipped a bug like in your water right now, like in, and I was, you know able to show you that none of the bug was in there and even kind of ran the water through a filter there would still be this kind of like yeah in my in my system as or in your system as you tried to maybe try to drink it yeah um but when it comes to the faith in a certain sense too there's this sense in which we have to remove ourselves entirely from sin and i mean obviously some like the very ancient hebrew practices very much replicate this like um, if you're touched by somebody who has a, mm. uh, an issue with blood or somebody who has been bleeding, yeah, a leper, right? yeah. like a le- or even a leper, right? Yeah. yeah. You, you have to remove yourself from the community for a certain number of days, go wash in the, um, in, you know, sacred, a sacred place and, and those kind of things. Sure. Well. But in some sense, like this is in, this is reversing that uh, in a mm. certain sense, like this kind of taking on of like contamination and this kind of like mm. lopping contamination even, onto the person of Jesus is this way in which we overcome the larger sins that are occurring within the world. It's very much an exception. I don't think that any Catholic or Christian would say that apostasy is itself like something we need to do all the time or at the drop of a hat, you know, like in some sense in the ways that like Kichijiro is free to do. But nonetheless, it is this kind of like this admitting our contamination admitting our sinfulness admitting our you know the weakness you know the language that you know we pulled from here 
and allowing yourself to put that on Christ, you know, like is in some sense, like the, the apostasy language that they're kind of working with throughout this film kind of has this sense of this, like self-fulfillment, the self-achieving of Christianity. And I think this scene invites us to a different understanding to show like, what is the purpose of salvation and faith and who's the one who ultimately achieves that for us? This is obviously runs against some Catholic themes as I'm, I'm doing this very Protestant wise, but yeah, sure. To, it really is to like understand what the cruci crucifixion is about as this kind of blaspheming of God. We have, instead of receiving God, who God is, we have chosen to renounce the God who comes to us via incarnation in favor of our picture of who we believe God to be. Mm. And that itself is this kind of contaminating sacrilege. Like it talks about in Mark 13, mm -hmm. wherein we, we and our picture of God has replaced the God who is. And so Jesus saying, step on me, it's for, for this reason that I came, is the sense of like destroying this picture of God and like stepping on it and those kind of things is God is taking this on uh, upon ourselves, allowing this to happen mm -hmm. is in order to free us from it. Because ultimately the picture that we have in the Gospels is that this death of Jesus is ultimately a liberation for all humanity for us to recognize, to be able to see our own sin in a certain sense. In that moment, that's where um, Rodriguez, in some sense, sees his own sin, but yeah. it's also other people seeing, I mean, it also reveals and unmasks the sin of the situation itself. And the one who bears the sin mm -hmm, is mm -hmm. the one who is crucified. Yeah, on yeah, yeah, who's trampled on. It's trampled on. And so the sense in which, like, mm -hmm. um, like the language that Rowan Williams, he's a, he used to be the Archbishop of Canterbury mm -hmm. years ago, he always he refers to this as kind of saving solidarity, where we only recognize our salvation as we become more bound to other people, mm. and in some sense that, like that's what Rodriguez is. He's struggled. He's always been close to these people throughout, but in a moment he's allowed to make that leap as he's he's able to give up his purity, embrace the the language of crucifixion that Jesus is truly offering and thus recognize that it's only by being more bound to these people as Jesus is bound to them mm -hmm. that we ourselves really know what it means to be saved. Um, and I think that's one of the things why I love this so much is because it rejects like a certain language of purity. And I, I think it fits really well with what Scorsese is trying to do in a sense, because Rodriguez recognizes in that moment his own sin. Mm -hmm. <laughs> he's, he's not the Christ figure. The right. Christ is the Christ figure. Right. And thus he needs that that grace to be able to do that. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's, I, I don't know, it's just, I always, I, I remember I just, when I read it the first time I, I wept because it's such a. Oh, no doubt. Like we, I think sometimes our religious categories prevent us from the mercy mm -hmm. that we see in this scene. Um, and not always, I'm not, I'm not bashing like all well, for sure. things, but yeah. I, I just, I think I've, as the older I get, I don't know if you feel this way, like these kind of depictions of mercy are the things that I find the most attractive. So um, you're nailing it. Yeah. So with the spiritual journey, I, I talked before the ascent right. is yeah. about sacrifice instead of mercy. Mm -hmm. And so in this descent, right. Um, they highlight mercy instead of sacrifice. Right. Right. So that's the inevitable journey if mm -hmm. you're open to it, mm -hmm. uh, because yeah, you can't make enough sacrifice, right? Yeah, obviously, right, yeah. and uh, or earn enough grace, right? Because um, you can't earn it at all in the first place. And so, but <clears throat> but regardless, doesn't matter how much knowledge. Doesn't matter if you're studying this uh, spiritual journey map uh, from the time you're five years old, like inevitably you're still going to find your, you know, need to ascend in order for there to even be a descent. So right. 
uh, it's still something that takes place. Uh, and in some ways, again, healthy religion, I think, as Rohr would say, uh, helps navigate, helps us actually navigate mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. and gives us the rites of passage and gives us the, you know, the, the wisdom and guidance you know, towards that as mm-hmm. well. Mm-hmm. Uh, but anyways, yeah, so I love that. You, you nailed it. And I love that. Just a little mini sermon. You yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. But I will. Uh, so and this re- is reflected in the book. Um, that he, I think it's even more explicit in the book when uh, Christ speaks um, and actually starts saying, starts with trample, trample. I more than anyone know of the pain in your foot, trample. It was to be trampled on by men that I was born into this world, which is not in the movie. Mm. Um, and then says it was to share men's pain that I carried my cross, which is in the movie. So I thought that was interesting that they, they didn't put that in, but I love that it was to be trampled on by mm-hmm. men right. that I was born into this world. Yeah. Which is obviously, you know, the whole novel's leading us to this moment. To that moment. Yeah. Uh, but then interestingly, um, and um, it pulled in a little bit before that, I can't find it, but right after that it says, you know, the priest. Uh, Rodriguez placed his foot on the fumi. Dawn broke, uh, and far in the distance, the cock crew. Um, and so just that dawn breaking didn't happen in the movie. I actually went back on Amazon before I came over here uh, to go back through it, but they maintained the darkness. Right. Um, and in a way, it works. I want to kind of go back and kind of think through why Marty wouldn't allow uh, light to kind of begin to stream into that situation. Mm-hmm. It seems like perfect based on every conversation we have right, on yeah. the podcast, uh, me going on about those things um, or the, the, the not happening of that. So it's interesting that they didn't um, ultimately. But at the same time, Marty changes the very end. Mm-hmm. So we have the coda uh, narrated by the Dutch Dutchman, um, right. and you know, that whole thing kind of qualifying the next like 30, 40 years of Rodriguez's life. Right. Um, and, but the final image of the movie, uh, was, is not in the book, mm-hmm. uh, which is his, you know, Buddhist burial, um, and, and burning and within inside of the container with the body is him holding on to a crucifix that had been given to him, uh, early on in the movie early on in the journey by one of the Japanese Christians who had carved a crucifix out Mm. of a piece of wood and in his hands, he's holding it while the barrel begins to burn. And so you see this burning light underneath his hands, illuminating the cross. Mm. And then Mm. that's the end of the movie. Yeah. 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 Which is not in the book. No. Yeah. I I love that scene. I mean, for a lot of reasons, but you know, I, um, I'd forgotten that wasn't in the book, but you know, like the, the language that I know that a lot of people, bring to the end is like okay well then he renounced his faith and he's no longer uh, a member of the faith and i always thought that, that was quite I, i'm not sure that i i always believed that when reading the end of it um now granted i'd forgotten that scene wasn't in there but even in the movie the way it depicts it it seems like both even uh fruit fiera has has in some sense held on to his faith as well yeah for sure when he yeah, he says our lord at one point yeah um and rodriguez picks up on that uh, and then, of course, they have the scene where he, you know, he's a fallen priest now, but he still does confession for K- Kikijiru uh, one more time. And Kikijiru is also uh, caught in both the book and the movie um, with a necklace uh, that has, it describes it in the book of having uh, Apostle uh, Peter and Paul on one side and St. Francis and an angel, Saint Xavier, and an angel on the other side mm. uh, that he was caught with. 
Um, and so, yeah, so many things pointing towards, you know, they're still uh, trying to maintain some semblance of faith uh, without practice, basically. And in fact, their practice is more, looks like apostatizing every week. Um, and and um, and working for the government, yeah. Um, and so maintaining faith is very hidden and, mm-hmm. and very you know in, internal, whatever it looks like. But I think Marty, whether it's about Marty himself um, or what he believes about the character, you know, it's very uh, he's still holding, literally holding on to hope. You know, at the end. Yeah, and I think I mean obviously that's the that's the story of um, Holy Week, right? When yeah. We get to Holy Saturday. It's kind of like um, it's kind of last little. I mean, it seems like all hope is gone. I mean, you know, in some sense, I wish that in many Christian circles we had different rhythms for practicing or really celebrating Holy Saturday. Um, I mean, Easter egg hunt is kind of the traditional thing, but you know, that doesn't always quite capture. I think what uh, the kind of the misery of Holy Saturday is supposed to be like in the mm-hmm. sense of like this final scene here. No, for sure. Um, is this kind of waiting? You know, because I mean, for some people, the silence is. Um, it is real, right? For these characters, the silence is real. The biggest thing on Holy Saturday is the silence of God, the silence of the tomb. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's why I think that like it's it, you need these stories that can be told in a certain sense that God's presence and suffering is to suffer with, instead of a cause or this kind of like sure. trumpeter, you know, on a horse, you know, coming down with a sword, which is you know a lot of people what they think of when they think of like what God's going to do. In some sense, that's one of the rubs of the film is like why hasn't God done anything? Yeah, for right, people? right, right. But um, anyway, like like I said, it's just I, th- I think it's so beautiful in that sense for naming like what the crucifixion actually is, is this kind of taking on of the guilt of humanity in a, in a v- different way than probably a lot of maybe um, Protestants would think of it. And maybe even Catholics as this kind of like um, really like theoretical understanding of sin, but really just it's the grit of this scene. Like that's what is being taken on. in that Quite sense. Right, absolutely. Um, and I, anyway, so yeah. I love this part and, and I think it names, like, like I said, like the, the rigidness of, of Christianity is often very legalistic in some sense. And I'm, I'm, I don't like think that that means that we're antinomian, like we don't like have laws or rules or things of that nature. Obviously we do. And I think those are good boundaries and barriers mm-hmm. for us to know things. But also I think the, the language of the exception like there are times when stepping right in the situation, stepping on this is stepping on Jesus is itself not something that is, is to be done and performed at all times, but an exception that nonetheless mimics a certain theological understanding of something like crucifixion, Mm -hmm. especially uh, good Friday in that nature. And I think that if Christians can learn kind of this um, improvisation technique of the ability to know the story, such as to perform it in a unique way, uh, even if that way is not as common as others, mm-hmm. um, while nonetheless faithful, I think is a powerful like reflex that can help us in our very trying times uh, in terms of the faith. Because I think that um, uh, the inability to express the exception can be um, one of the things that moves us more towards the legalism and away from mercy and grace mm-hmm. and those kind of things. So, no, anyway. one hundred, man, one hundred, yeah. And uh, yeah, the only other thing I have to um, to add to any of that is, uh, again, back to on the spiritual journey descent, uh, Roar articulates that the shadow is not just tolerated, but embraced, forgiven, and seen as a gift, mm. right? Mm. 
Uh, so again, going back to yeah, that that episode, apostasy, but also Kikijiro as that the shadow character, um, and these kind of things that that um, it's not just tolerated, uh, but something embraced, forgiven. Love that language and and re- having to wrestle with it as a gift. Mm-hmm. What does that What does that mean? And I don't necessarily know what it means for uh, Rodriguez in in this film. Uh, specifically, because again, it's hidden in the last right. part in, in Coda, but I think that that's an important piece. And going back to the Creed three conversation and, and my uh, fairly significant criticism that I stand by with Damien being the shadow, uh, who does, seems to, to only be not only tolerated, but just kind of defeated. I defeated my shadow. Um, so if I defeat my shadow, I'm not obviously not embracing it, really forgiving it mm-hmm. or seeing it as a gift, uh, unless there's something interesting they do in the sequel um, to to bring that out. But it felt like, you know, kind of the opposite happened. Yeah. There. I'm interested to see what they do with him as well, because I think that, like you said, they're, you know, the forgiveness piece, I think, could have been. I, I keep like rolling in my mind now because I've watched a lot of the Rocky films and they all, right. They always end with some fight Yep, where one person wins and one person loses. And, um, you know, like I said, I, I, one of the things I would love for you to see when you look at the, uh, the director's cut is, is this kind of new stuff. But I mean, what, like, what would it look like for, um, like him to, like him Creed being Adonis to, to lose that fight as a way to kind of Mm -hmm. speak to Donnie is to draw Donnie back, uh, you know, into, um, uh, no, not Donnie, sorry, Damien. Yeah. Um, back into like, you know, away from his kind of the path he's starting to go back yeah. down on. What would that look like? And so, but anyway, this is, I, yeah. I love that language you talk about the embracing of the shadow as a gift. Um, I think it's a really powerful tool and a great place to end. Unless you have uh, final words you want to share. No, man, no, I think that's great, or I'll just end up talking about Creed too long. So That's okay. Well, <laughs> well maybe we'll do a Creed 3 Part 2. Right, who knows? <laughs> or a, uh, we'll do Creed 3 Part 2 slash Rocky 4 Director's Cut yeah. episode or something like that. But that'll about do it for us. Um, thanks so much for joining us uh, as we uh, look through this film, uh, Silence. Please let us know. If there's anything that we missed or anything that you think we should have talked about a little bit more, any questions you have, we'd love to kind of uh, talk about those um, as we uh, move forward. Um, If you're interested in helping out the podcast, best way to do it is leave a review. It's the easiest way to help other people find us. Um, And we also are looking forward to our our next series, uh, which will be on uh, the Body Snatcher theme, uh, which will come out of our Easter um, week. uh, stuff. So mm-hmm. we're heading into uh, Easter, right? Next couple of weeks. Um, we won't be here on the Monday after Easter, which is our next slated podcast, mm-hmm. but we will um, come back to you after that um, with our body snatchers. Theme. Yeah, sounds fun. Yeah. So anyway, we hope that you'll join us then. And in the meantime, be well, stay safe. And we hope that we'll see you here next time on the Art House Roadshow. Thanks, everyone. And that's a wrap. Thank you for joining us on Art House Roadshow. We'll see you next time. <laughs>